Welcome to The Fix Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Robeck. Each week on our show, we invite a special guest to share their knowledge on health, wellness, and better daily habits so you can have the life you deserve. Let's get started. Today, we had Julia Kitts on our show. She's a licensed clinical social worker, and we speak about how our thoughts affect our body, not just that, also how our body affects our thoughts. And we dive into some um, unhealthy coping skills that we can be up against when we experience grief, anxiety, fear, and maybe even loss. Uh, so happy to have her on our show. Julia, welcome. Uh, hi, Sean. Thank you. Julia is a licensed clinical social worker, and um, we're been very excited to have her on our show. We've been uh, kind of going back and forth for the past month. And uh, with our wellness program, you know, we have to focus on the whole body and we can't ignore how our thoughts affect our body and also how our body affect our thoughts. Uh, right. So I want to get into it. We have a lot to talk about. And I'd like to start with that. Um, and I'm sure you help uh, your clients uh, with specifically just that. So how can our thoughts affect our body? You know, Sean, actually, when we first talked about the idea of how your thoughts affect your body or mental health affecting physical health and vice versa, really one of the first things I thought is you can do a whole series on this because really, can we disconnect our mental health from our physical health? Our mind and our body go together. We can't separate them. I mean, if, if you think about sports, even right, sports psychology, that the psychological spot that someone's in when they start a game, when they're in the middle of a game or when they're att- you know, attempting a workout or in the middle of a workout, it's, it has so much to do with where their mind is, right? Where are our thoughts? What are we thinking about? How do we feel about ourselves? How do we feel about this workout? How do we feel about this game, our competitor, all of that, right? So they're, they're inextricably connected. I don't think we can disconnect them. And on that note, if you think about it, um, if someone is physically healthy and they're maintaining their physical health and they're able to do that, you know, they're, they're focused on their wellness and their fitness level, then it's kind of impossible for that person to really not be very mentally healthy. I mean, you can have problems and you can struggle, but typically you have to be in pretty good mental health and the vice versa is also true, right? Right, right? If I'm in pretty good mental health and, and, I'm, I'm doing things right. I'm making good choices. I feel good about myself. Then it's going to be easier for me to take care of my physical health. So, I mean, to me, I think that that is, that's the best place to start is that if I'm struggling with depression or anxiety or relationships or I'm insecurities, confidence, whatever, I'm going to have a harder time taking care of my physical health. And if I have physical problems, whether it's acute or chronic, um, digestive problems, whatever, migraines, um, then I'm going to have a harder time getting out and taking care of my body. Right. Right. Uh, How does one do that? How can someone say, okay, my, my mental, um, the way I'm handling my mental health is inappropriate at this point and it's affecting me. Uh, What are the steps people can take outside of simply getting help, let's say from someone like you? Right. You know what? The, the, I think the number one thing that I talk about with people, to, regardless of what they're struggling with, is self-awareness. I talk about it all day long, is self-awareness. And so often we stay 
kind of disconnected from what's actually going on. We repeat our same behaviors. We continue to do the same coping skills. We go through patterns and we talk to the same people who maybe encourage that, right? So I, I think it takes a conversation oftentimes, or it takes maybe something that is troublesome, a trip to the doctor where you've got a problem, right? Um, so, but self-awareness, being aware that there is something going on that I need to to change and I need help with, I think. Uh, you know, better daily habits, right? If, uh, if, you're, if you want to make a change and you know things aren't right, uh, and we wake up and do the same thing every single day. And if we're hanging out with the same people every single day and having the similar conversations or the same frustrations, uh, but we're not, we're not going to be proactive to make that shift. We can't expect there to be a different outcome. Right. Um, and sometimes that takes help, but the self-awareness of saying, um, wow, what I'm doing right now is taking me down a path where I don't want to go. Uh, right. and my future doesn't look bright this, uh, going down this path. And, um, you know, oftentimes it takes a coach to help that person realize, uh, what, and a coach that can walk shoulder to shoulder with them to make sure they, really they stick. right. It's that it accountability. Really I think that helps. Yeah. Because we can be aware. We don't, we can maybe be aware that we don't feel good about ourselves, you know, and the choices we're making, but, um, to actually, you know, stop and say, okay, this isn't good. I'm going to do something about this. It oftentimes takes help. And it's interesting because uh, my best friend is actually like a Pilates guru. She has a Pilates studio in Denver and um, other people, her in particular, but other people that I talk to who are trainers or, you know, one-on-one physical um, health providers, they oftentimes will say that, that their clients will sometimes just want to talk. They just stop in the middle of a workout and they just want to spend the whole hour talking to them because there's a connection there. There's, they they feel that this person is someone they can trust and they're helping them already. They have information that they know can help them and they know they're listening to them. And so that's the person. Sometimes they'll just start, start talking about their relationship or I have trouble drinking at night, you know, or, um, I I just can't, my sleep is a problem. I don't know what to do. And so I just think that that is such a significant part of what we do is talking to somebody. And that's when we have this awareness, we're putting it out there instead of keeping it inside. Right. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. The uh, it's so important when we, you know, for in the fixed body group, majority of us are doctors and in our culture, we don't call ourselves doctors. We call ourselves coaches or mentors. Uh, And it's because what we do differently is really listen to a client uh, and there will be times, just like you said, where a client will come in and sometimes we don't put our hands on our body. They just sit there and they want to talk to yeah. us. And uh, it's, that's exactly why we're talking about this today and how your brain can affect your body. Right. Our chronic, you know, I've, I speak about uh, this one gentleman, he's in, he's in his seventies and he has horrible chronic pain, um, type of pain that he may never recover from. Right. Uh, but the best sessions at times is not the structural care component to it, which is our specialty, but it's when he sits in that chair and I know it's going to be that session where he just wants to talk about what he's experiencing, but he's right. unable to at home. And for him at times, that's his best session. And so exactly. And then after he talks to you, Sean, he probably leaves there feeling more empowered and more positive about being able to take care of himself in spite of his physical pain. That's right. right? It's it's mindset and it's feeling supported and it's walking out feeling like I can do this. Right. And right. I think that is definitely the the 
the psychological component of relationship too that helps. It is. And when you actually can do that and then still put your hands on their body and address that physical ailment and you, and you attack mm-hmm. both the mental and the physical, that's a whole mm-hmm. body wellness and, and, and fixing the body as a whole or treating the body as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's great to work with specialists like yourself because um, you know, when working with the, we're, our scope is limited. Uh, and so when it gets beyond what we can accomplish, where we can actually refer to appropriate people to go right. deeper and do a deeper dive. Um, that's what that team approach in healthcare should be like. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to spin around just so we can make it practical for someone. If I can put myself into this conversation. Uh, But you know, when you said something earlier, right when we started the show, I was like, you've said something that was like, wow, that was just, that's like myself, my, uh, my, the relationship between myself and my twin brother. Uh, I have a twin where both our physical stature is about the same. Um, But we would wrestle almost every single day growing up for 15 years. Uh, and sometimes that wrestling got a little bit more than just wrestling, but it was like, I always knew in my brain that I was going to lose and I would go into that wrestling match or whatever it was. I'm like, all right, well, we're going to, here we go. And I'm, I'm probably not going to win this match, but the times where I'd said to myself, this is my day, I'm going to win. He would literally, he could see it in my eyes and we would go the opposite way or if we did engage and wrestle i would win and it's how the brain um affects your physical and your ability to accomplish things absolutely and our choices you know people hear about cognitive behavioral therapy all the time and and they'll say i need to my doctor told me that i need to get cognitive behavioral therapy right and really what is put very simplistically cognitive behavioral therapy is the connection between our cognitions or thoughts right our emotions and feelings and our behaviors and actions right and they all could you say that one more time just a little bit slower for the listeners what does it mean Sure. It's, it's the, the connection between our cognitions or our thoughts, right? Our cognitive functioning, our emotions or feelings, right? How we feel, whether that's anxiety or sadness or, or shock or fear, right? Um, or anger and our behaviors and our actions, right? So my behavior, my action could be sleeping in, it could be exercising. It could be staying in and not socializing. It could be <laughs> drinking. It could be anything, right? And then our thoughts and our cognitions are how we think about something, how we perceive something. My brother's going to beat me every single time. Or today, I've got it. Right. Right. And when you think that, your body may kick into gear because your thought has has a a decision. It's got a goal. You're going to do it. You've decided. Right. And then our emotions and our feelings also. So they're all, you know, they all relate to one another. So I help people, you know, understand how those things are related. And, and for a lot of people, they have a lot of difficulty with motivation and starting with the action, starting with the behavior, right? Which that's, okay, I'm going to get to bed early. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to start this new pattern and I'm going to go and work out before work. And then the alarm goes off and I'll do it. I'll do it next week. I'll do it later. You get up, you start your day. How do you feel? 
you've already failed. Mm -hmm. You already feel like you failed, right? right? You already feel bad. You don't feel energy. You don't feel good about yourself. You haven't made a good choice. I failed again, whatever, right? So how does that perpetuate itself, right? So, um, uh, well, how do you make, how do you help your clients not fall into that trap? Well, it, <laughs> it, so for that person, if, if that person's not able to start with action or behavior, then it may be starting with their thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. Or somebody comes to me with a tremendous amount of anxiety. So the problem they come in and say is I have panic attacks, you know, and it's just comes out of nowhere. And all of a sudden this thing happens to me. So the, the cues to me are all of a sudden right? Which it's never all of a sudden. And this thing is happening to me. I I feel my body. I don't know what's going on and it's happening. And then I realize it and then it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. Well, this is what's happening is that I had a thought originally. I probably had a series of thoughts. In fact, I probably had a series of thoughts for a few days, right? About something that I may not be aware of self-awareness, right? right? What am I thinking? And at some point the body responds. So whether it's increased heart rate or tension in your neck or headache or heart palpitations, right? I become aware of this thing that's now happening to my body. So the body's responding to the fear, the anxiety from the thoughts that I've been having. That's right. right. So then when I become aware of what's happening to my body, then my behaviors and my actions change too. Right now I'm freaking myself out because something's happening to me. So what I do is I really explain to people, first of all, anxiety is not something that just happens to us, right? It doesn't come from some mysterious place. It comes from our thoughts. Everything comes from our brain. Right. So for those people, that's where I start is your thoughts. What are you thinking? What, what's going on here? And the, it never fails. I'll have people say, I was lying on the couch, just watching a movie, just totally relaxed and chill. And all of a sudden I had this anxiety attack, right? People have the same experiences because we, we have the same bodies, right? We, it's science, right? It's our physical body. So, um, I, I just help people understand. We kind of process through it. I relate to them and I say, I know that must be really scary. And, um, you don't understand what's going on, you know? So people do think maybe they have a a health problem or something's wrong. So I help them understand that it is coming from your brain. It is coming from somewhere and you have control over it and you can manage this right right. with help. Do you find that having a working with your clients, if they have a sense of purpose or they really deeply understand their why, uh, um, why they want help, where they're going um, and, and dialing in, um, their motivation for change can be helpful for them? I think they do. Oftentimes people do know their why, but it takes them a while to figure it out. So oftentimes when I'm asking, it doesn't come right away. Right. I mean, you know, for, for physical health. Yeah. I want to lose weight. I want to get toned. I want to be healthy. I want to sleep better, have better digestive, you know, health, whatever. Um, But oftentimes people you know, don't necessarily know. Right. And um, it takes somebody like you or um, good coaches or mentors to listen uh, and not simply take that first answer where somebody's like, well, what's the motivation to be less anxious or what's the motivation uh, for you to be on our restart wellness program? And they say, well, I want to lose 25 pounds and be able to golf with my 12 year old son. uh, So I don't have back pain. I'm like, that's amazing. Um, What else? 
what the and it's uh there it goes way deeper. I was speaking to somebody recently about um how they'd like to stop drinking as much alcohol at night. And I'm like, well, why do you want to do that? I want to be healthier. Um, I want to lose weight. Um, and I want to have as much sugar. I go, well, well really, why do you want to really more energy in the morning and not feel so bad? Yeah. And as we kept going with why, 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 it really came down to the fact that that person didn't want to feel weak to the point where they always had to reach for a drink at night out of dependency. It was they felt weak that they were controlled by a substance. Uh, and when it got to that point, now we really dove deep into their, why they are trying to make this change. And so we could really, as a team, as coaches and as a client say, this is our goal. And if you steer away from this and if you get derailed a bit, let's get back on track because what you told me in the past was that you feel weak and you don't want to be controlled by a substance. Not so much that you want to lose weight and you want to be healthier. That's too general. So I think if we can really dive into somebody's uh, why they want to change, it helps them stay on course. I absolutely agree. And I always talk about how, you know, when we're making some kind of change, there's two levels going to operating. There's the, for you, right? You're helping them with their body because they have this very concrete goal. But really what's underlying that is how do I feel about myself? How do I feel about the choices I'm making? And that is so much less obvious to people, but it's always present. It's always there, right? How do I feel about myself? You know, how do I, do I, I mean, look at people who go through dramatic changes, physical changes when they start a new program and you experience that they're walking on air because they feel good about the choices they made. Right. Yes. Yeah. And to be able to stick with it. And it's that whole mental sticking with something is a whole nother level of, uh, creating better neural net networks or neural pathways into, you know, filling those ruts in your brain with cement. So you have a better, better uh, uh, ability of habit form because you're proud of yourself to be able to accomplish something. Right. That in exactly. itself is, yeah. and, and, and our work, yours and mine are similar in the sense that people come to us typically because they have a problem right? My problem is I can't lose weight on my own. My problem is I have this back pain that I've tried everything. Can you help me? Right. right? Uh, and for me, it's, I have this anxiety, there's something wrong with me or I'm depressed or there's something that I, I want to do or need to do and I can't do it. And so their problem identification, as you and I kind of explore what's really going on, right? Oftentimes it comes back to, you know, what's happening that choices that they are or are not making that they don't feel good about. Right. Right. That's right. What's uh, is amazing. I think you'll probably have the same experience uh, or have had the same experience that what's rewarding for, for us um, is that when somebody makes this transformation, a good example is um, somebody that's fatigued, they're not sleeping well, they're irritable, they're not happy at home, they're not, they don't have the relationship with their spouse they once did. Um, mm-hmm. They want to have that back. Uh, they say enough is enough and they make that change. And uh, when you first see them, you can almost see the swelling in their face, their eyes, their, their, it's that, um, that frown, um, the, the, their eyes are speaking to you, but there's no zest for life. And then when they make that transformation, whether it be three or six months, and they literally are like, bounding into your office with this smile. That's so electric. That's Uh our reward. That's, you know, that's our selfish reward when, when that actually happens. And, and to be truthful, you know, we guide them through the process just like you do, but they're doing the work. 
It's not, right. it's not a pat on our shoulder. It's not, it's not, it's not our success. It is that we were able to find them and help them, but they're doing the work that's making the change. And I absolutely. think that's, yeah, that's the power behind it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. Well, you do talk about, you know, grief, um, anxiety, mm-hmm. fear, and loss and how that affect how, how that affects our choices. Can you, like, can you speak on that? Absolutely. Yeah. You know what? And and one of the things that uh, you and I had talked about before is uh, obviously COVID has been such a, you know, it's, it's ruled everyone's lives over the last year, right? This pandemic. And, uh, you know, two, the two areas that almost every single one of us has been affected by, I mean, probably every single one of us to some extent, Mm -hmm. right. Has been affected by anxiety to some level and also grief because of loss. right? Right. And anxiety, uh, the reason why, and I would say anxiety more so than depression, because depression can be intertwined between both of these, of course, um, is because from the very beginning, when this, you know, COVID thing came out, it was absolute uncertainty, right? What does this mean? What's going to happen? Are people going to die? Am I going to die? What's going on? Media was turned on constantly, right? And and we know that all anxiety, all forms of anxiety have to do with the intolerance of uncertainty, right? So the anxious mind is an uncertain mind, right? And typically the uncertain mind will lead to the worst case scenarios, right? And what if we are like living right here mindfully in the present, like today and taking this moment and today, we cannot really experience anxiety. When we experience anxiety, it's what if in the future, something that happened in the past, right? And for, for what people really have been going through over the last year, it's all of this uncertainty about the future. Right. What's going to happen, right? right. And, and then media drives this, right? <laughs> media really drives it and makes it worse because the more media you consume, right, whether it's you know news or social media, whatever, then the more we have an active imagination. And That's the right. active imagination just kind of runs wild. Right. right. So, so I always have told people, (laughs) you know, really, if there's, if there's one action that we can do to really manage that kind of anxiety, it's pulling back on the media, you know, being, being mindful, get outside. And if you're not an exerciser and you want to anyway, Mm -hmm. you want to do something, just taking a break from whatever you're doing, even if it's 15 minutes just walking outside, brisk walk, get some oxygen into your, your muscles and your blood, right. you know, and, and pay attention, be mindful. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you hear? Pay attention to things on your street that you've never seen before. Right? right. And that is much better than like scrolling through your media and getting your anxiety hyped up. Right. Right. And that, and then we'll do that. And then three days later, I don't know what's wrong with me. It's coming from nowhere. All of a sudden. <laughs> That's right. right. How yeah. about, you know, you have, let's say you have 10 minutes um, of free time throughout your day. And I would love to know the percentage of people that get immediately onto their phone and go on Instagram or whatever it may be. And then feel bad that their life isn't like the person's life that they're watching on Instagram or following or, or um, whatever Facebook nonsense they're, they're, lo- look, they're looking at. And the reality right. is that's their moment to be able to go breathe, walk, get sunlight. Right. And most importantly, 
be grateful and have gratitude uh, for all the things that they have. Um, and that anxiety, it's really hard to be grateful and hateful at the same time. Uh, right. And Absolutely. it's all, well, you can't for one. Mm-hmm. And so if you're able to spend that 10 minutes to be grateful for and have gratitude for what um, we have in life, the anxiety and, and depression, um, I, I don't want to say go away, but it, it can be a powerful tool to overcome that feeling at that moment. They're much more manageable. They're much, much more manageable because we have more balance at that point. That's right. right? Because, because anxiety can, can literally carry us away. And that gratitude that you're talking about is a tool that can kind of help bring some balance at least. Right. That's right. That's balance. Yeah. And, you know, I, I currently, um, operating four different offices in, in, in a pandemic. And so at times I'm anxious and I'm thinking about the future of our staff and how we and how we're going to keep them employed so they can, um, you know, survive. And, right. and so when I wake up and I have a sense of this, um, anxiousness, mm-hmm. my go-to is I think about my sister, I think about my, my other siblings, my twin brother, my older brother, I think about my parents are in their early eighties and they're still alive and they're healthy. I look at my beautiful wife at home and I see that I have a pool in the background, back, backyard. And I'm like, it's, there is a moment, this is a moment where you take a step back and say, everything's going to be okay. Stop trying to control the future. Don't worry about what happened in the past, live in the present moment and do the best you can. And at that point, your system calms down. I wanted to take a moment to talk about how anxiety affects our internal system because there's a state of rest and recovery, which is your parasympathetic state where your body actually heals, restores itself, digests. We we reproduce in that state. Uh, But in the sympathetic state, which is that anxious state where you fight, you flight or you fight or flight, where you run away or you attack certain things. That's how we um, handle anxiety and stress. The challenge behind that is that we're in that state Uh, most of the energy and blood are in our muscles. So we can actually be in that fight and flight state. However, because that blood and energy is in our muscles, it's not in our organs that are helping us digest. It's not helping our immune system. uh, And ultimately it's not allowing our hormones to do what they're designed to do. And um, that creates sickness, illness, and it affects our immune system. And if we're able to take ourselves out of that anxious state in general, we're going to be overall much more healthy. Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, to kind of, tag on to that, Sean. One of the things that I talk to people about in the very beginning when we're working with anxiety is breathing, right? Breathing. And everybody knows about breathing, but people don't really understand necessarily what breathing is doing. And and I do, I talk about the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nervous system and that this is responsible for relaxation. How do we trigger it? How do you stimulate it? Right. Right. And, and different types of breathing. And I try to simplify it as much as possible. And, you know, that is the inhaling through the nose and having a long exhale through your mouth. Right. right. That's very, very simplified, but Mm -hmm. um, that that's really how we can stimulate the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nervous system. And, and if I notice my palms are sweaty, my heart's racing, I have a headache, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw up my stomach hurts, right? Anything from anxiety or nervousness, is there anything I can do, but take a pill? Well, your heart rates up. And the reason that all of this is happening is because your heart rates up. And for the reasons that you said before, where's your blood going, right? So if I can remember that the center of my life and the center of my body and my brain and what's going on right now is my heart and my breathing. 
I can actually get my heart rate down through my breath control. So, so, I mean, I do this with people all the time, having physical symptoms and help them practice very, very simple, you know, breathing exercises to stimulate the vagus nerve to help bring the heart rate down. And then they'll notice that the physical symptoms start to fade away. Maybe that's another show for us. I think that would be very helpful for our, our listeners. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I bring, this is a great topic right now. Um, you know, we're having a, a nice discussion uh, and uh, and we're having these great points. Uh, at the same time, there is this construction going on uh, and I'm not sure if you can hear it, no. um, but well, <laughs> hopefully our sound guy can fix it. But at the same time, I'm sitting here like hoping it's not distracting our listeners. So I'm having this sense of like mm-hmm. a little frustration. Be, and at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, don't let it get to you. Make sure you uh-huh. focus on Julia. We, we're having a great conversation don't, and don't be rattled by it. And that's a uh-huh. sense where you can take control of your own internal nest to make sure that life doesn't affect you when you don't have control over it. Because I can't go out there and tell them to stop working. Uh, right. But I can focus on this great conversation that we're having and be grateful that we're having it. Right. And at that point, right. you can calm your system down. Exactly. And I, I oftentimes tell people, I, I feel like I've said this already maybe four times this week, is, is once I'm in a conversation with someone and I'm helping them, you know, they're talking about something that feels so out of control and feels like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And even though I'll, I'll kind of, you know, give some, some areas of tips or, you know, what may be going wrong and what they can do, they'll still kind of feel like a little stuck and and coming back to it. And when we finally get there, you know, and I can see there's a, 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 like, Oh, I got this. The thing I want to say at that point is you are in charge. You really are in charge. You really are in control, even though it doesn't feel like it. That's right. You know, there, there are obviously physical health problems, chronic, you know, problems that, that we, we do not have control of, but how we manage it, how we feel about it. Right. And how we live this moment day to day is within our control. That's right. Thank you for sharing that. The, um, I have some notes here that I want to make sure that we cover so we don't miss anything. Sure. Um, the uh, one thing that I think is important, I, I don't think I know is important, is that as humans, we get caught up in a cycle of um, unknowingly medicating our body. And it may create this anxiety in ourselves uh, that is unnecessary if we know the habits that um, that we're performing on a daily basis. I'm, some people for an entire life where it's this cycle of you wake up, you're tired. You caffeinate yourself immediately. Sometimes the first thing you put in your body is this is caffeine. So it's a drug going in to stimulate you. And right. then, but you're so addicted to that habit um, that you get through the day, maybe one or two caffeinated beverages throughout the day, but then you get to the point where you have to get home and it's time to decompress. The next thing you know, you either medicate yourself with a prescription drug or something over the counter or maybe alcohol. Um, right. And now what you're doing is you're going to bed and your body has to process this um, drug to, um, to get your, to, to eliminate it. So before you can get into deep sleep, your body has to eliminate this toxin out of your body. So you're minimizing your ability to sleep deeply until right. your liver detoxifies. Right. And then maybe you get a few hours of sleep, but you wake up and you're a bit tired. So you get that coffee again and then you do yeah. that same cycle all over again. And then you exactly. medicate at night and do the whole thing. So if, when you can, when you're anxious like that, because you're drinking either a stimulant, you may not have to be so anxious or fearful or um, um, I don't want to say grief, but <laughs> feeling bad about your habits. If you make some daily changes, do you have any right. suggestions for your clients about that? 
Well, you know, that's something that I think has been so significant in the beginning of COVID when this first happened, everybody remembers, and I still see some of this, all the memes and the jokes about, you know, drinking alcohol, like it's the happy hour at 10 in the morning. Right. Right. And, you know, with the toilet paper shortage, people would have grocery carts full of toilet paper. And then the joke was a grocery cart full of wine bottles, you know, and everybody feels so relaxed and relieved about that because, oh yeah, I can do that. Everybody else is drinking too. And, and absolutely the consumption of alcohol on a regular basis as a coping skill definitely changed and increased significantly. In fact, Sean, I was reading an NPR article yesterday about over the last year, there has been a dramatic, what they've noticed over the last year, it's been coming, but more so during the pandemic, that there's been an increase in um, uh, liver disease in young women in their 20s and 30s. So it's very interesting that there's this, there was, you know, this whole movement that everybody's kind of socially accepting excessive drinking, excessive unhealthy coping skills. And there was almost a sense, you know, at different points during the year, like, uh, this is kind of an excuse to do this. This is great. And the jokes even, you know, from coffee in the morning until, you know, three o'clock, I can start my alcohol for the evening. right? Right. And, and I mean, you just, you saw this all the time. And the problem now is that, you know, if this had lasted a month or less, it'd be very different. But a lot of people have over the course of this year really developed very, very unhealthy habits. And now more than even usual, people are having a harder time realizing, wow, how do I stop? How do I get out of these habits? Right. That's right. How do I I stop this? And and then alongside with gyms being closed. Right. And. And, and, and people kind of get stuck and they can get angry because of the loss that they've experienced. And, um, my gym is closed. What am I going to do? And I think people can kind of have blinders to doing something else other than, you know, just doing your regular workout. So now what do I do? And then they're going to go to more unhealthy coping skills. So that's been very difficult for people. It has been, and it's, it's, it's really easy to make excuses. It's really easy. Well, my gym's closed and I'm supposed to stay home. What else am I supposed to do? And now you hear with, well, we have these, uh, uh, I don't want to say jokes, but, um, rationalizations like, well, you know, yes. it's my, it's my COVID 15 as because everybody else has the COVID 15. Exactly. And so I have it and I'll get rid of it. It'll take, you know, but at the same time, we don't realize that these, um, unhealthy coping skills are affecting our internal organs negatively where it might be a slippery slope where we don't come out of it. And next thing you know, is 15 years later and you still have the, the COVID 30 on you. And right. now you're, it's a downward spiral from there, not just for right. your organs, but your joint health and your overall quality of life. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think it's so important and I don't want me to put you on the spot, uh, but you know, we sp- spoke about weight gain or not exercising and alcohol being unhealthy coping skills. Can you mention a few more that may be um, unhealthy? Um. Uh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I think that people have uh, their sleep has been affected. Yeah. 
Right. I think that people are, you know, staying up later, particularly I work with a lot of teenagers. And that's one thing that a lot of parents have uh, complained or had expressed concerns about right. is um, social media consumption, media consumption, again, for kids and teens, because they haven't been in school, right. they're at home, they're having to connect socially through video games or media. And so people are sitting more right? People aren't getting out. They're not getting fresh air. They're in their homes. Right. And, um, I, I mean, if nothing else, take your devices outside at least and sit outside. Right, right? Right. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that there we're we're just more, um, stagnant and less mobile. And, um, that of course affects our sleep too. Right. And right. if people, especially like teenagers or young people are staying up really late, on screens, bright screens, then their sleep is going to be affected again. And like you were talking about the coffee and alcohol, both are going to stimulate your anxiety, right? right? Because anyone who's had one too many drinks knows that before they feel those depressive effects the next day or the next evening, yep. because that kicks in later, they might wake up with a sweat and tremendous anxiety right. in the middle of the night, right? So the anxiety kicks in first, That's right. right? Yeah. So, yep. um, yeah. So the, I think that the other thing is I think people know what they're doing. That's unhealthy. <laughs> that's you right. know, again, those choices, I think we know what we're doing that isn't working for us. And um, however, they may not know the consequences of these choices that's until true. they happen. And so they know the that's choices true. aren't good, but they are going to, they, uh, but we're here to share with them. This behavior pattern will lead to this. So let's make these changes now. So you don't go to that path go to that right. place. And you bring up a couple of good points. If you're waking up at three in the morning and all of a sudden it's like this <gasps> moment where it's yep. like you have that immediate adrenaline rush. Um, uh, that's typically the time if you are a drinker and you go to bed, that's a typically the time when your body sobers up and then you wake yep. up. Uh, right. So recognize that, be conscious of the habits and be conscious of what's happening with your body. So you can say, wait, that's not okay for me. I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, the other thing is that fitness doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be go to the gym. If you're able to, to have six pack abs or bikini body, it's about moving your body the way the body was designed to be used. Uh, it's as simple as that. You don't have to be this massive crossfitter or run a marathon. You simply have to get out and move your body. So your hormones can do their jobs. So our joints can be utilized in the way they're supposed to, and just have fun with it. Uh, right. so. You know, Sean, I actually heard, um, a few weeks ago, speaking to that, I can't remember uh, who it was, but I heard it was a doctor or someone who was speaking to um, getting out and doing a run or a walk, some form of exercise outside if you can't be inside, but doing it for your mental health was kind of the purpose of this conversation. Right. And what he was saying is that don't worry about getting your heart rate up so high for so long. Don't worry about running. Don't worry about pushing yourself to go farther and faster. Worry about having a brisk pace so that it feels that you're challenging yourself enough, right? right. That you're breathing, you're not slothing, but that it could actually be better for your mental health to go at a brisk pace instead of really pushing yourself because there's less stress, yes. right? Yes. That we may actually experience without realizing it more stress when we're doing the marathon run. That's right. right? 
And when we're pushing ourselves uphill versus maybe doing a masked, socially distanced, brisk walk with a friend and going at a good pace, but we feel good. It's kind of like when you eat a meal, if you're arguing and in a fight with someone over a meal, your body's not going to process or digest that food very well. It's going to be bad. And if I'm enjoying this conversation and enjoying my company and feeling good, my my food's going to process better. It's the same thing with our exercise. That's right. You can exercise so your body relaxes is right. a good takeaway. <laughs> and so right. it doesn't have to be a stress on your body. It can right. be very uh, healing uh, right. throughout that moment. Um, how can, let's talk uh, as we close up, um, how can people find help? Um, they have to talk to somebody. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm a big believer that we just have to talk to someone. And sometimes, um, you know, as much as I can give to somebody in a session, I think that there are many times where when people are just p- putting things out here between us in the air and and putting something outside of their their brain, outside of their mind, that that in itself is changing. It really is. And I think that one of the biggest problems is, you know, people having motivation to change, yes. right? That, that's why I say, you know, pe- there aren't a lot of people who can just take the action, who can change the behavior, that they're lacking motivation. I'm going to start on Monday. No, nope, I'm going to start again on Monday. I'm going to start again on Monday. Right. right. Um, and a, a lot of times, you know, they have to be in the right place. But I always say, you know, find someone to talk to who isn't necessarily encouraging those negative, unhealthy coping skills, you know, who validates the drinking or the whatever, like the rationalizing it. Right. right. Um, and, and whether that's your personal trainer, your coach, a spiritual guide, I mean, it can be anybody, right. A parent, a trusted friend, that's right. and it could also be a professional, but, but talking to someone that is you really trust and feel safe with just about, gosh, I just haven't been feeling good or I'm really struggling. Right. Because if it's someone who can really listen and hear what you're saying, then they can maybe even direct you to someone else that really can help you. That's right. You're the average of the five people you hang out with most. So find somebody you can talk to that you respect and want to learn from and spend time with that person and, and, and speak to them. Absolutely. And especially during this time when everyone has been more isolated, we've all been more isolated and losing our social connections is, is a, is a real detriment to our mental health for sure. And um, how we're functioning. So trying to connect to other people in any way we can is so important. It is just, it's what we are meant to do as human beings. That's right. It's a great place to end the show. Julia, thank you so much for your time today. Welcome, really, maybe we can have thank get you on. Yeah, maybe we can have you on again and talk uh, more about breath work. Sure. Yeah. Thank you again. Have a great rest of your day. Welcome. Thanks. You too. Take care. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you did, please like and subscribe to stay tuned. See you next week on another episode of The Fix Podcast.